Everybody, thank you for listening to the Vessel Student Ministries podcast today. This is a product of the Vessel Student and Hyphen Ministries at the Pentecostals of Louisville in Kentucky. Uh, comment if your podcasting app there on allows it. Please rate this and share it with someone that you think it will bless. Our email is linked. We have youth classes every Wednesday at 7 o'clock. We have a youth event just about every Friday. And so if you haven't joined us in person and you're able to, please come on by. We'd love to see you. We hope you're blessed by the sermon today. In Jesus' name, bye. talk to you tonight about angels. Uh, angels, and we're going to get a little bit into theophanies if we can. Uh, if we can't, I'll talk about it later. So angels, why talk about angels? Uh, usually people sit on two sides. Either they obsess about it too much, or they don't want to talk about it at all. And they think it's not um, important to talk about it. Uh, why is it important to talk about angels? Well, because uh, God didn't give you five books of the Bible. He gave you uh, 66 books of the Bible. And so if we only got to keep the books that we read from, preached from, and prayed from, we would only have Genesis, Matthew, uh, a little bit. We have, we'd have Acts. We have a little bit of uh, 2 Corinthians, and, and we'd have a little bit of Revelations, okay? But there's so much more, okay? God thought, I need to give you all these things because it shapes how you view me. So I believe when the Bible says not one jot, no tittle, which means no punctuation, will pass away because it shapes our view of God. And so a lot of these things we're talking about tonight, people have developed wrong ideas. And these wrong ideas alter how you view God. Eventually they will mess you up. And so we're going to deal with things because how you think God operates and how you think he handles his staff, which are angels, will shape how you view God. And theology, which is understanding of God, view of God, will shape your soteriology one day, which is an understanding and doctrine of salvation. Okay, so if it's in the book, we're going to talk about it. I, I don't believe that anything should be off limits in any morning time. If I didn't talk about it because, you know, why, you're going to read it one day and be confused, and somebody that read it is going to confuse you, and you're going to think there's stuff that you've been lied to, and, and crazy stuff can happen, and as you can see as we go through each stage, people have been led astray. So we're talking about it so you can view God right, so you don't go to hell. Got it? Amen. <laughs> so, angels. Angels are messengers. The word angel means messenger or shining one. God uses them as instruments of his will. They are ministering spirits, the Bible says. And they are also submitted to God. This is important. In Jude chapter 2, or Jude chapter 1, and in 2 Peter chapter 2, the Bible describes the events in which the angels fail. It said that the angels left their position of submission. They stepped away from where they were submitted. Okay, they were made to serve God. They were made for their will to be in servitude of God. This is very important because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 it says that because a woman does not cut her hair, for it's a shame for her to pray or worship or prophesy with her head uncovered, for her hair is given to her as a covering, and when she has it uncut, she honors her head, she honors her Adam. Okay, let me talk about holiness. She honors her father or her pastor she or her husband. It's, it's a submission thing. And last time Eve tried to be Adam, she brought her fruit into home and it messed things up because Adam was not being a very good Adam. You know all these things. And so it says because of the woman's submission, she has power among angels. Why? Because it said the angels left their place of submission. Angels are powerful and useful because they're submitted to God. And that's why, I don't know what that power does for you ladies, but for some reason you relate to the angels. Why? Because you both are using the power of submission. Doesn't mean you're weak. See, 
It, being powerful, but also being submitted is a very hard thing to do. God wants you to be articulate. He wants you to be amazing. He wants you to be used and talented and be used in all the gifts. But He also wants you to be submitted. As, and angels the same way. And so for whatever reason, they were able to rebel. Now we talked about this before. Angels do not have free will like you and I do. You were designed to make a choice. God put two trees in the garden to give us that choice. To love me, you have to choose yes or no. You can opt out of loving me. To choose fully to love me, you have to give the option to fail. And so, we make this choice every day. In 2 Peter chapter 2, it says, In Noah's day, men fell from God. And then there was repentance through Noah and his family was saved. And it says, In Sodom and Gomorrah, there was sin and men fell from God. But Lot was saved. And it gives two instances, major instances, where men sinned, but men came back. In our whole lives, we sin and we can come back. We, there's backsliding and repentance. And repentance is the institution in which we get restored to God. And that's what we're designed to do every day. Solomon says, you pick from two trees. The tree of life, the tree of the nausea and evil. That's how you live your life. Will I serve God today or will I not serve God today? You're made freely to choose and you'll choose every day and every moment. Angels, though, in 2 Peter and in Jude, were only cited having one instance of falling away. And it never says that any angel ever came back. For whatever reason, they were given the ability to choose once, but never choose again. There's no angel uh, retention program where God's worried about future angels falling. They, they're not falling. And there's no angel backslidden uh, uh, evangelism program. Angels cannot come back. It says that some of them are locked up in darkness because they rebelled. Some, you know, the third, what we have called demons now. They're fallen angels. Satan was a fallen cherubim. And so for whatever reason, they were able to... Walk away, but they can't come back. They don't have free like you and I. You can mess it today. I don't suggest that you do it. But God, if you repent, he'll restore you. Angels, one and done, Jack. Okay? So, that being said, I don't like to talk about the devil a lot. Okay? Because we give the devil way too much credit. He's not in the Bible that often for as much as we sing about him and worry about him and preach about him. I don't like people saying, well, tell the devil this. I'm not talking to the devil. Like, what you, I'm not going to tell the devil nothing. I don't have to mess with the devil. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. Me and the devil don't chat. I, he's not on my radar. Okay? And while we're on the topic, some people are like, well, the devil had me. The devil was messing me today. Oh, the devil? Like the actual devil? Because <laughs> uh, uh, angels or cherubim, they're not omnipresent. They have fixed. Only God is ever at once. Only God's all-powerful. They have fixed matter. Okay? So spirituality, you're not a vaporous cloud. Heaven Point one was Eden. They had physical bodies, but they were not going to die. In perfection, there still was physicalness. Adam were physical. You know, in, in the heaven you're going to, you're still physical. A new glorified body. You can touch, you can eat. Just like the Bible says Jesus' body was after the grave. He could touch, he could eat, but he could float through walls. It's like this weird body, but it's physical. And so angels are not as vaporous and spiritual in our word as you think. They are confined. They look like men. They have form and substance. They can appear. They can disappear. But for a reason, they, they are fixed. They, they're not ever at once. So if, if there's spiritual oppression, wickedness in high places, somebody, maybe you're special that the devil showed up. But it probably wasn't the devil. It probably was your flesh first. And then maybe you could say it was a demon in a bad spirit. And then you could, maybe one day, if you're least stoked, can the devil come knocking on your door. Okay, uh, Gabriel, if I'm not mistaken, was fighting the prince of Persia to go and talk to Daniel. Okay, there's 
different spiritual dominions, wickedness in high places. There's angels assigned to protect certain parts of the world. There's demons. Why? Because you can't just poof, there I am. He said, I had to fight through somebody to get to you. Angels have frequent miles. <laughs> they just can't poof, there I am. Okay? They're bound like God is not bound. There's a reality that fixes them. You understand? So since we're on the guy, uh, we're going to talk about him so we don't worship him too much and think he's that bad. Because he's not that bad. Okay? He's not that bad at the bone. Uh, uh, Satan is not even his name. The Bible does not record his name. They're all titles. Lucifer, shining one. That comes from, from the Latin. Uh, Satan means accuser. God calls and Jesus calls other people Satan at times. He's not saying that they are the Satan. He's saying Satan. Satan means accuser, adversary. And so when Jesus told Peter, Peter said, you're not going to die on the cross. I won't let you. I'll fight for you. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. He may have been calling him the Satan, or he may have been saying, get behind me, you adversary. You're against my will. It was a title. The problem is when you translate them into English, these, these titles seem to be proper names, but they're not. What I'm saying to you, if God did not want us to even know the guy's name so we wouldn't think he was that special, then we shouldn't spend that much time worrying about him or thinking about him because God didn't even want him to be named. Because if you have a name, then you can honor. If you have a name, then it changes things. But if he's just some guy that messed up one time and prays on the week, then I'm, I'm not going to think about him too much. Amen? But let's talk about him so we have our, our heads clear about who Satan is. Okay, he was a... Cherubim, not an angel. See, angels look like men. Angels do not have wings. Write that down. Angels do not have wings. I had this pet peeve about Christmas time. All the angels flapping around. They don't have wings. Okay? They're men. They're wingless. Okay? Gabriel, Michael, angels. Uh, the, all the angels showed up. Angel of the Lord. They're, they're all angels. No wings. Cherubim are special. Cherubim are the angelic creatures that are in the presence of God. They're closest to God. That's why when the tabernacle was made, it was made to reflect heaven, the Bible says. And the Ark of the Covenant, you know, the magic box that killed people and brought victory. It was meant to be a representation of God's glory. You couldn't touch it or you die. There were cherubim carved in gold on top because they were the creatures closest to God. Cherubim were often hybrids, different, looking like different types of creatures. You had the face of an ox, body of a man, face of a, or body of a lion, face of an eagle. They had six wings. When they're in God's presence, they take two and cover their face. Two fly, two cover their feet. Six wings. The only ones that have wings. Okay? Get, get that in your strength. Please, Lord, help me. Get that in your head. Only ones that have wings. He was not an angel. He was a cherubim. Remember that. Okay? Because in 2 Corinthians, it says that Paul says, I'm worried that you're going to be confused and beguiled like Satan, that ancient serpent, how he confused Eve. He disguised himself as an angel of light, Paul says. He disguised himself as an angel of light, meaning he's not an angel of light. Why would you disguise yourself if you're not? He's not an angel of light. He masquerades as an angel of light. You know, the guy with flowing blonde hair that tempts people. It has, you know, he, he was not that. He was disguised himself. So what did Satan look like? He was a cherubim, right? A creature, six wings. So even knowing that, Satan looked probably shocking to you, even when he was sinless. Okay? When Isaiah looked into the throne of God, Daniel looked at the throne of God in a vision, and he saw cherubim, and they were different hybrids of men and beasts. Whenever John looked into the heavens in his vision, he saw cherubim, mixture of hybrids and beasts. When Isaiah, though, looked into the throne of God, he saw what he called seraphim. Seraphim means cherubim, just a different word. Seraphim, though, is more specific. It means snake. 
It means snake. What does a snake look like with wings? Anybody? A dragon. Well, in John, he describes Satan as a dragon. A seraphim, he sees seraphim. There are serpents with six wings. They're in the presence of God. They're not scared. They're sinful. Don't, don't give snakes a bad rap. <laughs> God made some of them look like them, and they were in God's presence. And that's what he describes it. But if you saw a seraphim, you would think dragon. Okay? So we get to this. Let me read this for you. This is Ezekiel. Okay? I'm going to briefly clarify this because if you went back to read this, you'd be confused. Ezekiel is calling out the king of Tyre. But as he begins to call out the king of Tyre, in the section we're going to read, he begins to t speak to him in ways that you know he's no longer striving the king of Tyre. Okay? And you'll understand it more as I read it. The Bible does this thing. It's a hermeneutic principle, which means how the Bible works in layman's terms. It uses a thing called double meaning. It's like a prophecy can apply now and also greater than. Or a prophecy can speak to a normal thing but also a spiritual thing. Like, for instance, Moses said, one will come after me like me from your brethren that will lead you. Okay? It was meaning in his time, Joshua. Okay? But then the Bible, the New Testament says... And Moses, like Moses said, one came after us, Jesus came out. He was greater than Moses. And the Bible literally says that it was real about Joshua, but yet it's real about Jesus. So the prophecy applies now and later. That's why we preach in the Bible about physical stories that were real for them, but we preach them as spiritual meanings for us because the Bible uses this laying effect. So, for instance, uh, in the Old Testament... God says, I, I love my son Israel. Out of Egypt I call my son. He's talking about them in Egypt, right? Bondage coming out of Egypt, duh, Israel. But then, whenever Jesus had to escape to Egypt and he gets to come back because Herod is dead, then the Bible says, and this was fulfilled the prophecy that out of Egypt I will call my son. It was real for them and it was real for Jesus, double meaning. Okay? So when you read this, it says King Attire, but he cuts off He's speaking, using a physical man to illustrate Lucifer's spiritual state. You get it? I know this is deep, but I'm having fun with this. I'm going to read the whole section, because with these things you have to read it, otherwise people, you know. This is Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 13, until I stop. You were the signet of perfection. Well, no man's perfect. Full of wisdom and perfect beauty. Okay, no man is beautiful. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Wait a second. Every precious stone was your covering. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Satan was in Eden when he was perfect and sinless. We've always asked the question, why would God put Satan in the garden just to mess everything up? Why would he put a jerk in there just to destroy? Because he was there in the first place before he ever sinned. Okay? Sardis and topaz and diamond and beryl and onyx and jasper, sapphire, emerald and carbuncle, crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings all the day, on the day that you were created. Created, not born. It's talking about not normal man, the day you were created. And this man was Eden. The king of Tyre was not Eden. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed a guardian cherub. Not an angel, a cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways. No man is blameless. He was made perfection. In your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you out as profane thing from the mountain of God. I destroy you, O guardian cherub. 
Different scriptures say I saw Satan fall from lightning. He was cast out of heaven. But it, it wasn't the heaven that you're thinking, or at least it wasn't exactly how we pictured it, that there's like space, open field, and then a cloud spits him out. Okay? There's a mountain, it says, that was in the Garden of Eden up towards the sky. Okay? It was, it was where people, theologians believe, and the Jewish history always teaches that Eden was a high place where, where, where the, the power supernatural realm was intersecting with the earthly realm, just as heaven and we will intersect. And so this mountain was God's mountain. And it says that Satan was the garden cherub in Eden. And he walked down this mountain. And God kicked him off the mountain when he got mad at him because he sinned. And the Tower of Babel, why was it such a bad thing they built a big tower? Because they heard stories about a mountain in Eden. And they knew there was power associated with it. So they tried to build their own mountain. And it was an arrogance and it was in defiance of God. And God said, no, no, you're not making another Eden. That's why you see studies about how, how, how the Tower of Babel was a false utopia. And God said, no. They were trying to rebuild Eden. Because Satan wanted the glory restored. And so did they. And God said, no, you're not going to have my glory. He dispersed them. So he got cast out. But he wasn't kicked, he wasn't kicked out and fell into Eden. He, his whole existence, his whole job took place in Eden. So it makes Eve not seem so much mischievous because she saw Satan all the time. He worked in the garden. So she wasn't looking for trouble. He, she didn't know that the guy that she saw, that she trusted, was now recently fired a disgruntled employee on his way out and he was talking stuff about the boss. She didn't know. And so it makes it even more dangerous and sad because it was someone she likely trusted, the chief guardian cherub of the garden. So imagine one day if someone you trusted, someone that was a spiritual leader and a, and a help in your life, switched and roasted you and ripped your faith apart. That's what she went through. The Bible doesn't say that she has an excuse. It also says be careful because she was deceived. It's a very dangerous thing and it's horrible what he did to her because she trusted him. But have you ever wondered why? She was comfortable talking to a snake. Okay, did all animals talk in the Bible? Like, is that what's happening here? Or was she just so quirky she didn't think twice about a talking snake? Okay, well, maybe Lucifer became a snake. Well, are you saying he can manifest? Only God can manifest flesh. Only God can create. So we can't believe he became a snake, even though some of our grandparents would tell you that. So, did he possess a snake? Sure, could have possessed a snake. Okay. But Isaiah saw seraphim. Their cherubim looked like snakes with six wings. He was a chief cherub. When he told the serpent, you now will crawl, he didn't crawl in the first place, but he was the chief cherub or the chief seraphim. God stripped him, I don't know, physically, spiritually, whatever. He stripped him of his wings. Now he's robbed of his power. She may not have been... Frightened by a talking snake because she's used to seeing, like Isaiah and like the prophets, cherubim and seraphim, her whole existence. So he wasn't scary. He didn't look evil. He wasn't frightening. That's why Paul says he is the ancient serpent in the New Testament. And in, in Revelation says he is the dragon. How do you think Satan looks today? He looks like the way they keep saying he looks. Like a snake. Like a dragon. Because even the sinless, perfect seraphim look the same. But this cat has been stripped of his wings. It's crazy, right? You don't have to believe me. I'm just dropping it. I'm just telling you. I'm just laying it out there. I'm just telling you. Okay? Otherwise, we believe in talking animals or Eve was just an idiot. Okay? But this way seems a lot more biblical when you lay it out that way. Don't, don't go home and have nightmares, though. And don't try to explain it to your parents unless you really digest it. Otherwise, they'll think you're crazy. <laughs> oh, man. 
So angels, real quickly. Oh, man. Okay, I can do this. Angels, there was this, in Matthew, Jesus said, they asked him, someone is married, right? And their spouse dies. And they get remarried. And that spouse dies. And they get remarried. And that spouse dies. And they get remarried. And they're like three spouses gone. When they get to heaven, whose spouse are they married to? They're like, we got him. Because that's going to be confusing. Imagine that chick fight. And they, and Jesus said, actually, there's no marriage in heaven. No marriage in heaven. Comma, they will be like the angels. Okay? Angels don't get married, obviously. People have taken this and said that angels are genderless. They take that verse and they say angels are genderless. No, no, it says they don't get married. It does not mean they're genderless. Okay? Because if they were genderless, then why does every time the Bible mentions an angel, an Asian? <laughs> uh, I don't think they made the cut. There's no white man, there's no Asian. Sorry, there's too much Jews. Oh, man. Anyways, every time the Bible mentions an angel, why does it say he? Because they're all dudes. Gabriel's a dude, Michael's a dude, they're all dudes. You will never see a female angel. They don't exist. Well, God, God just picked a pronoun for the angels. They just present themselves as he because they're spirits. They're, they're so pure, they're above gender. So wait, when God says, I am that I am, and he presents himself as a he, did God pick a gender just to present himself to you? Because we couldn't understand him any other way? Wait a second. That, are you telling me that my gender is just about my hardware and not about my soul? No, God is infallible. God is unquestionable. When he says I'm a he, he is a dude in the fullest extent. Because your gender is not about what you have down here. It is ingrained in your soul. God is a man because being a man and being a woman is not just about how you look on the outside. It's about how God made you on the inside. And to say otherwise, open ourselves up to the whole gender revolution going on in society. That the more spiritual you are, the less certain you are. The less more spiritual you are, the more like a cloud you are. And there's no certainty about your identity. Because they all say, well, on the inside, I'm different. Well, if we believe that same thing about God and the angels, then we lose our footing. We have genders. We're just not married. Okay? That's easy enough. God's a dude. Angels are dudes. That's why Eve is so special, because she was new. For God, for God made Adam man in the image and the glory of God. But woman was made from the image and the glory of man. For man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. For she, she reflects him, and she is his glory. She says, help me. Women are special because when you get to heaven, you'll be one of the first women there. You won't see them floating around. There were no female angels. You were unique, and you were special. Come on, somebody. This became like a... How many brownie points am I earning tonight? I mean, my goodness. This is a ladies' conference message. I'm telling you what. So I don't care what you see at Christmas time. There's like this beautiful woman with wings and she's an angel. No, no, no. They're all dudes. Because the, the, the Jews even believe when God said, let us make man in our image. Okay? They believe either the royal we, kings, throughout history would say we. There's a representation of their will, their power. We. Okay? It's not the Trinity. It's let us. Okay, there was no concept of none of that. Or the Jews believed that he was saying to heaven, let us make man in our image. Okay? He made man. If that's the case, made man as a man because all of heaven was a bunch of dudes. And I believe that he made man, Adam, and he made angels based off the blueprint that he knew Jesus would look like one day. He had the image of the man, of Jesus, and he made all of us based off of that print. This is what man will look like. And this is what woman will look like from man. Okay? We're booking. Angel of the Lord. 
When you read a bunch of stories, it's kind of confusing. Who is the angel of the Lord? Is it an angel or is it God revealing himself? Notice I did not say uh, manifested, revealing himself. Because Jesus was the perfect imprint, the manifestation of God. He was begotten. Any theophany or any time you think God may have showed up, he was not like Jesus because Jesus was born to a woman. He was subjected to sin, but he overcame sin. He was amazing. He was unique. If God did show up in any form, it was just a representation of his presence. It was not a manifestation in human flesh. Okay? But it gets confusing. For instance, uh, it says that Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Then it says that sometimes that Jacob wrestled with God. For you have wrestled with man and wrestled with God, you overcame, you'll be called Israel. Did he wrestle with God? Wrestle with the angel of the Lord. Is the angel of the Lord angel of the Lord just mean an, an angelic uh, you know, image of God? Or does it mean that an actual angel he sent? Then you get into like uh, confusing things like the angel of the Lord was in the midst of the cloud of fire and he led them out of Egypt. But then it says that God was in the midst of the pillar of fire in the cloud. It says the angel of the Lord spoke from the burning bush, but then it says again that God spoke from the burning bush. Who is here? I'm confused. Okay? But then it gets more clear. Like when Abraham, Abraham had three men walk to his tent. You're going to be father of many nations. Your old wife's going to have a baby. She laughed, said, no way. And the guy said, oh, you, why do you laugh? She said, I, don't, I didn't laugh. You didn't hear me. He said, oh, you laughed, but you will be the, the mother of many nations. These three men walk, and God, the voice of God, begins to speak. Many people believe that anytime you hear the voice of God, but yet there's the angel over there. People are like, well, it must have been God, because Gideon, it said the angel Lord stood before him, and the voice of God spoke. And people believe sometimes that it means that the angel Lord, an angel, was there, but God spoke disembodied. So he had a representation there that didn't speak, but the voice spoke. Okay? But in this case, we know for sure this is not what happened. And I'm not, I'll explain, I don't think that ever happened. So in this case, here's what happened. These three men walk over, and God begins to speak to Abraham. And it says, should I tell him about Sodom? Should I tell him about Lot? Hey, I'm going to destroy Sodom. And they begin to talk, and Abraham begins to intercede for Lot's life. And it says that the men left to go to Sodom. But God and Abraham kept speaking, and Abraham drew close. How do you draw close to a disembodied voice? But Abraham drew close, and him and God began to chat. In the very next chapter, it says, And the two angels found Sodom by nightfall. There were three people, though, but the two angels? Oh! He didn't draw near to a disembodied voice. He drew near to God. God presented himself in a form to speak to Abraham. This is probably the clearest and most easiest, in my opinion, idea that God showed up in a form to speak because of the, all the context in the chapters and the voice he drew near to the Lord, all these things, okay? But when it comes to the, the, the burning bush or it comes to the pillar of fire, I think that you should take one of these three options, okay? There's three ways to interpret the Bible when it comes to this. Either it's always a different angel, like Gabriel or Michael, and it's just the angel of the Lord. It's just an angel. And it says, and the Lord spoke and the Lord looked. Hagar, it said, the angel of the Lord was there, and the Lord spoke to Hagar. Well, who was speaking? I don't believe it's an angel there and a voice is speaking, because why waste the manpower? Why send a body just to stand there and stare at them, but you're going to do all the talking? It doesn't make sense to me, okay? Just freak them out. So what does this guy do? Is he just glow in the dark? I don't understand. So either it's just an angel speaking, and like a messenger, if I'm a messenger of the king and I come to you and say, here are the words of the king, you would then tell your kids, the king told me. 
and you would kind of cut out the middleman, you would kind of cut me out because I'm a messenger. Okay, I don't matter. Well, some people believe the Bible is doing that at times. It's just cutting out the middleman and saying the Lord said and the Lord spoke, but it was actually an angel that spoke it. Okay, you can believe that that happened every time. Or you can believe, like I believe, that you have to read each story individually. That sometimes it was an angel speaking and sometimes it was God revealing himself and talking. Not manifested, but revealing himself. Okay? Sometimes other people believe that it was always God showing up. But when you read it, you can't say that it was always God showing up. That it was always God there because it, it gets too confusing. And there are some stories that directly contradict that. So I believe you just pray about it. You read each chapter. You don't make any long conclusions. You take it case by case. And, uh, yeah. Because like it says that uh, Paul, the Lord spoke to Paul. The Lord stood before Paul and comforted him. But then Paul said, an angel of God stood before me and, and comforted me in a different situation. So was it just the angel of God in that one time that Paul was spoken to? And then two years later, earlier, when he said the Lord stood before me, was he just meaning that an angel spoke to him, but it, and he was an ambassador of the Lord? I think we just take the Bible literally sometimes. When he said it was the Lord, he meant it was the Lord. When he said it was the angel of God, he meant it was the angel of God. Sometimes we try to be so theological that we just don't read it. And if you just read it and say that and repeat that, you won't go wrong. And if you have people understanding, God bless you. You didn't say anything more than what the Bible said. I think they're just, the Bible's more specific sometimes than we think. So sometimes when it says the angel of the Lord, it could mean a separate angel or it could mean an angelic representation, angelic visitation of God. Because angelic means messenger. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't necessarily mean a physical angel. It could be that he appeared like an angel. Because what does angel mean? Shining one. Pretty sure if God showed up in any form, he's very shiny. Uh, all that being said, I got to one more point, and we may not get to Melchizedek tonight. Let me read you this. In Genesis chapter 6, let me explain the context. Chapter 5, Noah and his family get off the boat. There are only three families left, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. There's no people. So when it says in chapter 6, this verse, it's a big deal. Okay, When men began to multiply on the face of the land... And daughters were born to them. Why do I care? Because there was nobody left. So they're having babies. It's fantastic. We witnessed survive. They didn't. So God's like, good for you. Okay, keep it coming. Multiply. Okay, that's why it's saying it. Then it says this. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as them as their wives. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for his flesh. For his flesh, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were also, or giants, were also on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, they bore children to them, and they were mighty men who were old and men of renown. Okay? Let me point out to you the two random facts hidden in this. Okay? Men are marrying women, and God shortened their lifespan, and there were giants. And men married women had babies, and these men were great. People think that this chapter, the babies coming from this, are just the Nephilim, or just the giants. The giants had to come from somewhere, but it's not saying everybody born from this union were giants. It's saying, and also afterwards, they birthed great men. Great doesn't mean giant, but somebody birthed giants, somebody did, but not everybody coming out were, were giants. But here's why people think that everybody that's coming out were giants, because they get confused about sons of God and daughters of men. And here's why it's important you know these things, because if you think God did this, then... Your ideas about God can be very shifted. 
They think that fallen angels came down and they had intercourse with human women and birthed these giant hybrid creatures. Okay. That sounds like Greek mythology, doesn't it? Like paganism. Here's my first objection. Then why is Jesus special? He was begotten. Spirituality mixed with the flesh and birthed something new. Why would God let somebody steal his trick, even though they'd have been less than Jesus, not as special as Jesus? Why would God let them wet his powder or use something that he was going to use? Why would God give that power to create and manifest? And wait, they can't make anything. They can't speak. They can't form. They can't conceive. It's just we have this idea, we borrow other religions' ideas of bad spirits, and they're not weaving bodies, they're not making serpent bodies, they're not creating things, they're not conceiving kids. That's not in their power. The Bible gives no inclination. They, they have, they were given that power. They were messengers, and they, they can't reproduce, they're not married. And to believe otherwise means that Jesus was just a redone trick, but a better version. And there's also the sons of daughters, the, the sons of God and daughters of men. Is it many separate kind of people? There's a special race, and there's a. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, For man was made in the image and the glory of God, Son of God. And woman was made in the image and the glory of man, from man. For man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man, from man. Daughters of men. Where did Paul get that idea from? He got it from Genesis 6. It was so regular culture, it was a submission, it was a headship thing. They could be called the sons of God. They're the image bearers of God. To be called the daughters of men, they're the image bearers of men. It wasn't to say there's two different types of people. It was a headship principle in the Bible that followed the whole thing. You're the son of God, and women, you're the daughters of men. It was just like saying, and all the Adams looked at all the E's and thought they were fine and got married and had kids. If it had said that, we'd be confused. That's Bible talk for what it's saying because we're fresh out of the garden, y'all. The sons of God and the daughters of men had kids and they were great. Some birthed giants. They weren't all giants. Everybody was birthing Goliaths. But the reason they think that all the kids in this chapter, because they saw the word, and two, they think that that's fallen angels because they think, well, fallen angels are having kids and every guy's coming out crazy. That's not what it's saying. Okay, it's a headship principle. Some people believe that it's even a, a very likely thing, but I don't think as likely, that the sons of God were referred to all of Seth's descendants. Because it says that in that day in Seth's life, people turned back to God. I think it's referring to any, it was an image-bearing principle. God was like, listen, last time we got this out of whack, Eve messed things up, and Adam was weak. Let me just reinstitute this. All the sons of God got married the way they were supposed to, and they had kids with daughters of men. End of story, happy, you know, happy life. I can't, I can't do it. Okay, stay with me. I can't do it. It's not enough time. It's not enough time. Is he still teaching? Yes. Well, by the time... <laughs> Sit down real quick, and if they knock the door, we won't even pray. <laughs> okay, let me just read something to you. Okay? They read it, they'll talk about it. For this Melchizedek, this is Hebrews chapter 7, for this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, Priests of the Most High God met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. He paid his tithes. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Melchizedek is king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, which means king of peace. King of righteousness, that sounds familiar. 
He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. I'm going to keep reading, but he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues forever. Resembling the Son of God. As we begin to read, he's going to compare Jesus and Melchizedek back and forth. And says that Jesus is better, but he's from the same kind of cloth as Melchizedek. But I want to stop here. There's two ways to look at that scripture. Having no genealogy, no beginning of days, end of, you know, no end of life, no beginning, no mother, no father. Some people translate it that it's just saying we don't have a genealogy. We don't know where he came from. But the Bible was written by men, but not limited by man. The Bible usually doesn't tell you uh, there's something we didn't give you. The Bible tells you or doesn't tell you. If the Bible did not, did not want to share the genealogy, if God did not want to tell you where he came from, and it's like, he's a normal dude, we just don't want to tell you, it doesn't matter. It just wouldn't have said nothing. But people believe that this statement is saying, we just don't know. We don't know where he came from. Wait, the Bible's telling me it doesn't know? Does that mean the Bible's limited by its authorship, the human man that wrote it? But I thought the Bible had knowledge beyond the man that God spoke to the man. So it's weird for the Bible to say, here, there's a blank spot we can't fill for you. Or it's meaning, or it's meaning this: He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, He continues to preach forever. Having no father, no mother, end of day. I don't know, y'all. Listen, I'm just reading this stuff. It, something's gone with this man. I mean, because of that, something weird going on. And he resembles the Son of God. Resembles Jesus. How so? So see how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils and those descendants. I'm going to skip down. Verse 11. Now if perfection had been obtainable through the Levitical priesthood, which were normal priests, men, normal men, Aaron, they were in the tabernacle, they sacrificed lambs, they were the normal priests. Now if perfection had been attainable through Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek? Or after the manner, in the likeness of Melchizedek, similar to Melchizedek. He looked at the Son of God. He's relating Jesus and Melchizedek. Rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is the necessity, a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever been served at the altar. All of the priests in the Old Testament, physical priests, were from the Levites. You couldn't be a, a priest without being from the Levites. For it is evidence, though, that our Lord was ascended from Judah, Jesus, in connection that with the tribe of Moses said nothing about priests, but it was all prophesied that out of the tribe of Judah would come Jesus. So he wasn't made a priest because he was born from a certain tribe. He wasn't made a priest because of his physical lineage. He wasn't a Levite. He was made a priest because he's like Melchizedek, the Bible say. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who was who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of a indestructible life. Basically he's saying he's not a priest related to normal dudes. He's a priest like Melchizedek, in the order of Melchizedek, in the light of Melchizedek. Why is he different? He's made a priest because of his indestructible life. Having no father, no mother, no genealogy, having either beginning of days or end of life, but was in the Son of God, he can use a priest forever. For you are a priest forever of the order of Melchizedek, the prophet said. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law was made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. 
And it is not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever, meaning Jesus. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from attending an office. They all died. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. But didn't it just seem like his that continues forever? Didn't it say that he has no beginning of the end nor end of Didn't it just say that Jesus reigns forever and the reason they're alive is indestructible life? You can take two positions. He's a normal guy. Or, and this may be the second time that I could say that God showed up. I don't really like the word theophany. I was talking to somebody about this. Theophany is not in the Bible. It's a Greek word. This means manifestation of God. It's not in the Bible. Some use theophany, you know, just realize it's not in the Bible. So, he either, he was a normal man that foreshadowed Christ. But the Bible says some pretty crazy stuff, like he had an indestructible life, him and Jesus related, because they, okay. Or, God came down for a chat one day. The prince, the king of righteousness, and the king of peace came down, and he spoke to Abraham. Revealed, shaped, not manifested, but talked like he talked the one time, two chapters later. You can believe it, you don't have to believe it. But I have a harder time not believing it when I just read it flat out. I believe, I can say that I think only two times it happened where he showed up. This time and the other time with Abraham. Every other time you can say Jacob wrestled with an angel, sure. But I here, it's so hard. Melchizedek is not a fourth person of the Godhead. Melchizedek, he lasts forever in that he is, he was, God came down and showed himself. It's not saying that the physical walking around it's saying that he is like of the order of Melchizedek because God came down and talked to somebody. And then later God came down and was born to somebody and talked to everybody. He was not as great as Jesus at all. Jesus was the perfect imprint. But Melchizedek was a foreshadowing that God loves us so much, sometimes he comes down and chats with us. That was good. Write that down. Put that in your journal. Okay, stay with me. Read it. For real, read it. Read it. And if, if you've heard something I haven't heard, just read it and, and come back. Um, yeah. <laughs> just read it. Uh, there are crazy stuff in the Bible, different opinions. Um, just read it flat out. And when you don't know what, what you believe, all you have to do is just read it for people. And you say, this, this is what I believe, I just read it. You don't have to state something or even... Um, give some deep revelation or give your opinion of it or retranslate it in your own words, just read it. Sometimes I don't know what to say, so I just read it. Sometimes I've tried to share stuff that I don't understand at all, so I just read it, you know? Like I was playing baptism when I was 12. Oh, I've never read baptism. Like I didn't know what I was talking about, but I just repeated it, okay? Uh, listen, I'm not asking you to pray deeply. I know I just ranted. This was more of a teaching. I'm going to do this once a month. I'm going to try to really unload on you. I think next next week, I'm going to or next month, I'm going to explain um, the theories about Mary Magdalene and Mary the sister of Lazarus, how they could be separate or they could be the same. Oh. Don't let this become your favorite night of the month because I work hard the rest of the night. <laughs> so I'm going to popcorn and like, I feel like these nights are become like everybody's going to have like their, their snuggies and popcorn and flashlights. We're all gathered around our tent, talk, share stories. Okay. Yeah. God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your word. Help us to walk, rightly dividing the word. Help us understand you. Lord, help us to, to see you clearly. Uh, let us do this in a good spirit. Let us do this in love. 
Let us do this humbly. Let us have wonderful conversations. Let this be wonderful late evenings discussing the things of the Bible, the mysteries. Let it be fun. Let it be overwhelming. Let it be a, our favorite pastime. I thank you for every night. We've been up to 6 a.m. talking about revelations. Let it be amazing. Let it continue to grow. I pray that an interest is sparked in these young people. A proper interest, though. Not a, out of weight interest. That a proper interest. Not an obsession about the seven horsemen or something crazy. But a proper interest. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says... Amen. Amen. Talk to your friends or something.